You're listening to the United States of Oklahoma with Josh Delaney. I am Delaney, podcasting on live from the corner of Maine and Robinson in downtown Oklahoma City. And to my right, you're the first one that's been to my right. Really? Yeah. yeah I guess you have said to my left. Yeah. Usually. Yeah. We had one in front and, and a couple to the left, hmm. uh, but we both get this beautiful uh, view out here. Absolutely. We have Melissa Ike. Mm-hmm from Dragonfly, which is a nonprofit, uh, uh, sometimes I just want to say ministry, but a, a nonprofit group. It's a group. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, that uh, works with uh, victims of human trafficking in the, uh, in the metro area and beyond. Welcome. Thank you. I need you to keep my uh, spirits up today because I know this could be a rather dark... Uh, dark subject for sure well i mean that's that's our daily life and it has been for years it's important to make that effort to keep our spirits up so we've got a great team we laugh a lot we support each other and i mean that's critical if you're going to do something like this you have to work at that kind of thing yeah when when uh, when did you guys get uh get started um okay well the three co-founders myself uh whitney anderson and then our program director um, Nikki, we have been doing this work for a few years before we founded Dragonfly, but we did drag. We founded Dragonfly in March of 2019. Um, we got our state certification from the Oklahoma Office of the Attorney General Victim Services Unit, which allows us to legally serve sex trafficking victims in Oklahoma. That was uh, just before Thanksgiving, the day before Thanksgiving in 2016, which made Thanksgiving all that more. Uh, I don't know. Celebratory. Yeah. Thankful. Abundant. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So we celebrated our third year in March and it's just continued to grow this whole time faster than any of us could have expected. Yeah. I was curious. uh, It seems like uh, the word pimp has gone out of vogue. What's the difference between human trafficking and pimping or how are they uh, related? Right. Well, uh, pimp-controlled prostitution is what it's been called, really does fall within the legal definition of what is considered sex trafficking, assuming that there's some type of, if, if you have a victim who's an adult over the age of 18, assuming that there's some type of force, fraud, or coercion that um, compelled that person into that activity, and you have usually that is the case. Um, so a pimp and a trafficker really are synonymous um, so yeah, that's the same thing. Now, if if uh, somebody is quote unquote pimping or even purchasing sex from someone who's under the age of eighteen, then that person is a, a sex trafficking victim. There's really no such thing as a child prostitute or a teen prostitute under the law. It's a misnomer and unfair to the victim. Yeah. What? Uh why is there need for uh, dragonfly in Oklahoma? You know, we're in the middle of the country. We're a, mm-hmm. we're a wholesome state. Uh, <laughs> how big is the need for this type of uh, work? Well, I will say that since I began working in this issue full time in uh, late 2013, early 2014, 
My belief about the Midwest being a wholesome area of the country has certainly been challenged. <laughs> um, there, you know, there's, it happens everywhere, basically. Um, so I don't know if you've ever seen a quick Google search of headlines shows the kind of people who get arrested for purchasing sex can be teachers, coaches, ministers, lawyers, um, judges, doctors, you know, those are people who are everywhere in the country, in the world. So why do we need it here? Um, Because it's a problem here. Um, Because there are people who are victims of human trafficking here. Some of them are brought into this area from other parts of the world or the country. Many of the people who we have served were born and raised and trafficked right here in Oklahoma. Hmm. Is is the location, uh, does that... Uh, exacerbate the problem. I mean, we're, we're right in the middle of the forty, and I uh, mm-hmm. think the thirty-five is, is that is that a part of the problem? Well, that rhetoric is out there, um, but yeah. and and that I mean, I I used to think that way. Yeah. But so I'm I'm not from Oklahoma. I hope that's okay. Then I'm on your podcast because I think all of your guests so far have been from here. <laughs> all right, where are you from? I am from Des Moines, Iowa, oh, originally. Oh, yeah. Same thing. Those no, people. no. <laughs> Those people, yeah. I have lived in Oklahoma almost 11 years, though. Anyway. Um, Are you a, a child of the corn? I guess. Not really. I'll tell you how much time I've spent in Malachi. in, a, in a farm, and that's almost that's almost zero. Um, that, is, that is something I've heard, though, like when, when uh, I hear about the trafficking issues. Yeah. This corridor. And- okay. So the thing is that five miles from my childhood home near Des Moines is the crossing of I-80 and I-35, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So what we've learned, a lot of people have that idea, well, it must be bad here because of the highway crossings. But you know what? That rhetoric exists in practically every state. Mm. So people in Iowa are saying that now. My aunt who lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota says, well, we got, you know, I-29 <laughs> goes through here, so human trafficking is a problem. <laughs> I recently listened to a podcast episode in 2013 out of South Carolina. Uh-huh. I mean, they could have had a script. Yeah. It's a problem here because of the highways. Because of the highways. So um, wow. people can use a highway, but yeah. I don't th- – that really what is going to exacerbate it here in Oklahoma, you know – the state is at the top of a lot of lists of negative things and at the bottom of lists of, of positive things. So when you have a place where there's a lot of uh, child abuse, poverty, domestic violence, maybe less opportunity to a degree if you know there's education issues, just a whole host of things. Um, that is what that does is it forms a vulnerability in people that a trafficker can pretend to meet. So whether that is, um, I'll make your dreams come true, uh, you want to be a singer, a rapper, a model, a Disney character. I mean, we've heard so many different things. I will make that happen for you. Just just come with me. Newspaper reporter. Newspaper reporter. I don't know <laughs> if we've heard that one, <laughs> that's, but that's, I suppose it could. <laughs> uh, the, the traffickers aren't pitching that one as a... Uh, Not that I've heard. Okay. <laughs> I'll try to keep an ear out for that one. <laughs> right. Well, that's how I got into the business. Oh, oh Kidding. wow. Okay. <laughs> that's uh golly. So what, what, uh, I need to be allowed to interject a little bit of levity. For sure. Okay. Great, I am great. all for okay. levity. Yeah. <laughs> um, where do traffickers, uh, meet their victims? Mm-hmm. Well, a variety of places. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the unfortunate reality, this is the opposite of levity, is that we have served a number of people whose first traffickers were their parents or family members when they were kids. 
That happens in rural parts of the state, um, suburban areas, urban areas, everywhere. Uh, so that's that's one way that that happens. Um, really, what we see a lot of is social media recruitment. I mean, it's rampant. So it is interesting to see the flow of it. So, you know, Facebook still is still a player in that. But now we see people reaching out on Instagram, Snapchat. Recently, there has been an uptick, at least that we've seen in um, dating apps using, you know, trying to meet people through dating apps. So in terms of how they might do that, you know, you think about uh, how it used to be maybe when they were recruiting people 10, 20, 30 years ago before every anyone was really calling it human trafficking. You know, someone would have to go to the effort of maybe going to a mall and watching for someone. This could still happen today, by the way. So they may go to a mall or a park or something like that, maybe host a party where a lot of kids are coming and they look for somebody who maybe looks isolated or down on themselves. They can zero in on that person, show love, affection, opportunity, whatever. But that, and then they might have to groom that person over a period of time and buy them things. Again, that still happens today, but the ease of social media means, I mean, you got someone sitting behind a computer and they could be messaging 40 people at once, sending messages through Instagram. For some, for some people we've served, all it has taken is someone reaching out and saying, you're so beautiful and that's it because the self-esteem is, is low enough. Yeah, I covered, uh, I'm really glad you brought that up. I, uh, uh, well, I say covered, I filled in on the uh, courts beat for about three months and it kind of had a feeling about that, uh, the, the nefarious stuff that goes on on social media. Uh, and, and all of my fears were confirmed as, as we would have to go through uh, search warrants. Oh, and wow. so many search warrants were uh, uh, the need for cops to look into people's social media accounts for right. uh, trafficking, mm-hmm. you know, in, in addition to a lot of um, other issues. Um, there was one, and, and the, the thing is, is there were so many of these stories that it was. You know, which one do you write about? Do you write mm-hmm. about one or do you write about all of them? Right. Um, there was one that I saw where a woman was on, um, uh, I think, Facebook Marketplace or something oh, like okay. that. Uh, and she offered to sell something, and then a gentleman got a hold of her, and uh, she, she's laying in bed with her husband, and this gentleman calls or contacts her and she opens up the app and uh, he was doing something very lewd yeah yeah, and uh, she immediately closed it so they were um, out there looking for that guy but um, yeah it was stunning uh, how much uh, uh, police work now is is, you know involved in looking at at social media for this uh, specific issue Mm -hmm. it can be good evidence too for a court case yeah so there's there's that yeah Yeah. it's like a digital paper trail yeah exactly it's uh it's scary. Um, how many uh, uh, women should I say clients? I mean, I don't know. Have you have you have you served uh, helped any any men out that have been uh, yeah. abused yet? Yeah. yeah, we tend to use the word client. I was going to dif- say client. Yeah. yeah, different organizations use different terms. We go with client. Um, yes, so we have definitely served men, um, more women than men, but there's a real need for that service. Um, the benefit. So, so right now, I mean, you know this. We're running a crisis center. We have the only state certified crisis center, non residential services for human trafficking victims in the state. So, because it's not a shelter, we can help male victims. We can help labor trafficking victims, and generally people who fall into that category 
won't qualify for shelter services, and then there's just nothing available. No, I mean, it takes some specialized care from people who understand trafficking, understand the resources, understand everything that is needed to help someone fully recover, heal, move past, and then you know get a different, start a different life, whatever that looks like for them. Um, so with when you when you have exclusively shelter services available, a lot of people are cut out of that, especially mm-hmm. youths as well. Um, so we will help some teens um, in cer- certain circumstances, working with the proper state agencies and all that. Anyway, you asked about if we'd help men. Yeah. yeah so we have served men who were victims of sex trafficking, labor trafficking, or both. Um, some of them have been from other parts of the world. Some of them have been from the U.S. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The traffickers, um, do you find they, is there a is there a typical pattern? Are they working in groups or individually or in gangs, rings? Uh, what do they, what do they look like? What are the stories you're hearing? All of those things that you just mentioned. Yeah. It, it takes so many different forms. Like I had mentioned, there's familial trafficking. Um, people don't think about spouses trafficking their spouses. We've helped people who have tried to get help elsewhere and they're told, well, now, if your husband sold you, that's not human trafficking. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, someone is selling someone for sex. That's, that, you know, with the force, fraud, or coercion for adults, that's sex trafficking. Um, gang activity, there, you know, that's, that's a big one here in the Oklahoma area. That can be um, street gangs to or, more organized crime. Um, and then you just have individuals. Maybe you have a guy who has just a couple people who he's selling creates an ad online or something like that. So just like there's really no specific profile for what a trafficking victim looks like, there's no one profile for a trafficker. There's no one profile for a sex purchaser. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Have you served clients that um, ended up in Oklahoma somehow? Maybe they're from, from out of state stories and, you know, they, they might've been here for a day or a month or, you know, a year or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we've helped people who, um, let's see, might have been, they might come from other states, they ended trafficking, um, they might have been sold up and down the East Coast or the West Coast or throughout, you know, the uh, connected countries on either side of our border, somehow gotten to Oklahoma. Um, so, yeah, if they, they qualify for our services and get referred to us or if they contact us, then yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how are they hearing about your uh, your guys' services? A few different ways. So we get a lot of referrals from law enforcement. So they've got our helpline number. They'll call. Um, we hear about it from different service providers, uh, so different partnerships that we have. So um, if someone serves domestic violence victims or people who are experiencing homelessness, um, gosh, just anybody who seeks social services and they've got a social worker who can spot some red flags of trafficking, they might refer them. Um, sometimes people will go to lawyers for help and the lawyers will refer them. We get a lot of referrals from medical practitioners, um, teachers, but then some of them are concerned citizens. So we have someone call and she says, I think my granddaughter is caught up in this. What can I do? Hmm. Um we do have our hotline out on social media. Some people just Google for help and mm-hmm. they come across our helpline and they might call from Oklahoma or other parts of the country. And then um, I think one of the one of the biggest, I guess, compliments that we could receive is when people who we have helped 
meet someone who is in trafficking and they give them our number and they say call them because they can help you. Hmm. So that means a lot to us. Yeah. It's like solutions trafficking. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I had to break it up a little bit because yeah. I was, uh, I, you know, I was wondering, um, I'm sure uh, they've thought about calling uh, for help before, but once once you get to uh, counsel them and, and help them, do they reveal to you why they hadn't called you sooner or reached out to another place sooner? Uh, was there any kind of fear that was preventing them from doing that? Yeah. Uh, so some people we've helped have tried to reach out to other places and either people there didn't understand trafficking um, or it just wasn't a good fit. So some of them have been trying um, for years to find someone to help them. Um, but some of them, yeah, there is a lot of fear. And so when you have someone who's a trafficker and they exert total control on every level over everything someone does and they loom so large that they seem like they are omnipresent and that they can find someone anywhere and that there's no way for that person to get away from them and they make sure to instill that fear through threats or actual physical violence like like severe stuff um yeah so that that makes it really hard for someone to the fact that somebody would have the courage to reach out for help in that situation is incredible. I mean, that's braver than I will ever have to be, most likely. And then if somebody, let's say someone might might have gotten out of it um, and they're not in that climate of fear, then just imagine the judgment. People make jokes about prostitution all the time. Um, it's all, I mean, on TV. Uh, I was watching an episode of Friends the other day and this just, you know, offhand quip about it. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah. wow, it's so pervasive. And it has been for million or millions. I was going to say millennia. And then I combined it with thousands. It came, but anyway, thousands of years, right? Thousands. Yeah. So like the, the judgment, they have felt people judging them. Yeah. And um, so to trust that someone will actually help and not just make you feel some certain way and actually provide like care that can help someone, you know, start walking a different path. That too is so incredibly brave. Yeah. Are there um uh are there unfortunately quote unquote outreach groups that can be a little uh abusive or maybe take advantage of victims maybe similar to uh, I don't know sometimes with sober living houses you get mm. uh the sort of bad relationship where uh-huh. people are asked to Pay you know pay a bunch of money a month or you know that kind of thing. Is there anything like that that, that I, you guys are aware of? I suppose that does exist. Um, I don't personally know of anything okay. like that. Um, well, that's good. Here I in just, a, right? No, I, I mean I can say for sure that does happen. I don't know who or specifics, okay. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people can reach you. Can they reach you twenty four hours? Yeah. Okay. So, so if, mm-hmm. if I call at three in the morning and I'm on uh, Reno and so and so. Hey, I need help. What yep. what happens? So they will call our hotline. One of our advocates will answer. And we make sure to have that available 24 hours because um, trafficking doesn't happen from 9 to 5. In oh, fact, really? They don't? Three, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> they don't keep like regular business hours. They're not union? No. So 3 in the morning is a prime time for somebody yeah. to call. Not only that, but someone who maybe they're out of trafficking, maybe they're a client of ours, and they have some kind of crisis. I mean, PTSD, um, anxiety attacks, like there's 
all manner of things. And nighttime is just a hard time for a lot of people. And so, yeah, we're available 24 hours a day. So, you know, the response depends on the situation, but we provide the term for it is crisis intervention. So whatever it looks like for that person to get to help them get to physical safety or emotional, mental, psychological uh, stability, that's that's what our advocates are trained to provide. Mm-hmm. Uh, how far have people gone out to to uh, pick up people or uh, mm-hmm. even, I don't mean this in a quirky way, but deliver them or take them uh, somewhere else where they need to get, get help? Um, well, I know that we have definitely um, – gone to pick people up in like different parts of Oklahoma, rural Oklahoma. That's a, that's a hard place to find help of any kind on those rural areas. And so uh, either we provide it or we have partners who will help us figure out a way to help someone get here if needed. Sometimes people need to get really far away from the city in order to be safe. Someone is after them. So we are able to provide transportation hundreds over a thousand miles away to, you know, we have partners all around the country. We're constantly forming new partnerships just based on what people need. So we're able to take them to to safety as well. And uh, is there a shelter update or a house update? We are. Uh, we're getting there. Okay. So good. yeah, I talked a little <laughs> while ago about our crisis center. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you this. Okay. Okay. Two things. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. Mm-hmm. Shelter update is that we are still continuing to raise money. And the more people find out about it, the more people are donating or reaching out with possible solutions. So of course, we would like everything to happen in about 30 days time. Right. Boom, we got our money, we got a house and we're set. <laughs> uh, doesn't always work out like that. Come on, Oklahoma. Come on, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, there is not a shelter in Oklahoma City right now. Um, so progress. But this is really cool. Um, so we just were able to expand our crisis center into a larger space. Okay. So, so great because... Uh, this is already so we we founded it where we we opened it in uh, November 2016, like I mentioned. Um, then we already basically once we opened in that original location, we were already we'd already outgrown it. So about a year ago, we moved into another larger location, and now we've expanded into an even larger location because the need is there. Um, so that's exciting. It is now. Before I forget, I'm sure I'll do this at the end. Uh, if people want to uh, contribute to that cause, uh, how can they do that? Where can they do that? Yeah, at? can go to our website, thedragonflyhome.org. They've got all sorts of donate buttons on there. <laughs> <laughs> there's one that says, if you're wanting to give to the shelter, there's one in big letters that says support shelter. So you can find it there. I like that. Yeah. Um, what are some, uh, well, how, how, how worried should people be when they contact you that that somehow their identification and their location is going to be given up? And if so, how do you guys protect that? And then what what can a victim do right away in that moment or in those first few hours to to protect their identity and their their location? Well, confidentiality is one of the most important things to us at the Dragonfly Home. Um, I'm not program, I'm director of communications and development. Um, so I'm not part of that, but I do, I have some knowledge, like we have all sorts of policies and procedures in place. Um, we have, um, in fact, a lot of people in our organization, I don't know the names of our clients. I, I, I get their stories um, as needed, but no identifying details are even given to me 
or okay. anyone, anyone on the admin team. It is a need-to-know basis, so we yeah. keep that stuff. I mean, it is it is one of our highest priorities because we understand the danger yeah. involved. So um, that's super important. Um, as far as clients protecting their their own identity, I mean, staying off social media is important. Um, sometimes traffickers might place a tracker in a cell phone. So if there's an ability to uh, get rid of that, which I know can be hard, but if there's an option, there's a way mm-hmm. to get rid of something like that, maybe get a burner phone or something yeah. like that. That's one, just a couple things off the top of my head. Uh, if somebody called our hotline and was asking about that, our advocates could give mm. way more advice. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you ever have any uh, sneaky people out there that call the hotline and they're just uh, they're actually trying to look for one of their victims, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. What do they say? I'm grandma and I'm looking, or I'm, I'm granddad. And I'm I looking. don't take hotline calls, okay. but presumably, yeah. presumably something yeah. like that. Yeah. I just revealed myself as having a criminal mind. <laughs> <laughs> I think you gotta right. If you're gonna protect yourself, you gotta yeah, think like them. Spy versus spy. Yeah, there you, you go. Know. Um. So our. Uh, when the, when the uh, by the way is victim the correct term I don't is that politically correct or not right. I sometimes want to say women that I want to say no there are men so I want to say victim uh-huh. survivors is that so we go back and forth on this so word? there's the thing is that there's benefits to these different categories okay. and, and victim is okay some people do not prefer it some people do prefer it some people prefer survivor some people don't like either of those terms mm-hmm. and so we just it is common practice to use the term victim because really they're victims of crime. Yeah. And when, you ha- when you're able to say at least for a certain period of time that you're a victim of crime, it means you're entitled to rights under the law. Mm. Uh, so, so there's some power there. Um, also, I think sometimes um, people, like let's say your average person, the word survivor, you're like, what, is, what exactly does survivor entail? We, to, we, to me, we use them kind of interchangeably. We'll often say victim-survivor because it's someone who ha- is a victim of a crime, and that's the truth. And they've also survived more than I ever will, so that's yeah. also the truth. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of where we go. Now, when they uh, uh, – as they're getting uh, counseling and things like that, I don't, know, I don't know if there's group stuff that goes on that, that you guys know about and that kind of thing. Uh, I'm kind of thinking in terms of AA groups where, you know, alcoholics like to tell all of their horror stories and, and uh, you know, it, uh, does the same thing happen with uh, survivors of, of uh, sex trafficking or do they kind of don't want to talk about it or is it assumed, yeah, this was really awful. I don't need to put this burden on somebody else mm-hmm. or do they need to get that out? Right. Well, I mean, it depends on each person and, and the, the context that they're in. So some people just are probably more naturally inclined to want to tell their story because that kind of helps them process it. And they might be comfortable doing that with maybe a case manager or advocate, but not in a group setting. And some people might feel more comfortable. Some people just are probably naturally more private. And um, some people who we've helped when they are good, they know that they can always call us if they need help down the road. But they're like, I, I don't want to talk about this because that's my past and I want to leave it behind me. Some people uh, do want to talk about it because they want to take up the cause, so to speak. Uh, so it just, it really just varies yeah. you know, per person. Um, I know that through experience, humor is a great way to get through trauma. Mm-hmm. Uh, do a lot of them 
still have a sense of humor about uh, how things have oh, yeah. turned out. Well, I mean, I don't know if a sense of humor about that, but it's incredible. Um, these are, like I've mentioned, like I said before, the strongest people ever. So uh, one fun example was we had, are you familiar with Galentine's Day from Parks and Recreation? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, I host my own Galentine's Day celebrations, but that's beside the point. We had a little <laughs> Galentine's Day party um, for clients this year. And um, so our staff decorated one of our rooms with all sorts of hearts and things and had fun treats and a little activity. And um, what's amazing, I've witnessed this several times, is people just want to come together and connect with people and just have fun just do something different, not think about, you can't think about it all the time. And so lots of laughing, um, telling all sorts of different types of stories, um, encouraging each other, um, doing an activity together and, you know, like Pinterest fails or Pinterest wins and people are just (laughs) enjoying themselves. And so there's some part of me, I'll always be like, "It's it's pretty incredible that someone can go through these really hard things and still just, yeah come yeah. out and be able to laugh and enjoy themselves yeah in that way yeah, yeah. uh now when uh i mean people that are working in this type of uh outreach uh how do they cope with these uh, stories that they're hearing and even just the the day-to-day uh stress of it mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I can only speak for our team, I guess. Um, so um, self-care is part of our culture, uh, and self-care is kind of a buzz term. Um, I just recently looked at it on Instagram. There's like 16 million hashtags self-care, and that might be like, I'm going to have a bubble bath, which can be. Does it, does it include Jim Beam bourbon? I suppose for some people it might. I don't know if we would encourage that, but everybody has the right to do whatever. But self-care for us um, on site is, you know, there's the opportunity to uh, debrief with the proper supervisor um, and then just taking breaks and just doing things that kind of feed the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Are there... Are the personality types that do this kind of work, are they generally the same or, or, or are they varied? I'm, I'm thinking of uh, folks that just, you know, they, they want to save the world or mm-hmm. they're always taking in a stray dog or <laughs> I'm not comparing people, humans to that. I'm just saying. No, no, I understand. By, by analogy. Uh, uh, I can say that a number of people <laughs> on our staff would definitely want to take in every stray dog they saw. So, no, it's in addition to this other thing. I mean, I think that, uh, again, on our team and the people who I know, it's so many different personality types, but there are common threads. So um, high degree of compassion, um, uh, righteous anger about the things that people have gone through, um, a real desire to leave the world a better place than the way we found it, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, we have, we have lots of personality on our team, great people. It's so wonderful when we can all come together because we enjoy each other and everyone brings something so different. But when it comes down to it, we're we're all the same on yeah. those fronts. Yeah. yeah. Same values. Uh, how young and how old have uh, some of your uh, clients been? Uh, let's see. We, we for sure know that – now, when we have helped people, they have been usually adults, but were trafficked as young as being toddlers. Yeah. And then some 
people who we've helped. We have helped people who were in their, gosh, what was it, like 70s? Because, you know, you've got sex and labor trafficking as well. So it just really does not discriminate. If somebody, if someone can take advantage of someone, then they're going to do it. Yeah. What does the labor trafficking look like? I, I, I think people might get this image of uh, somebody who's out in a field somewhere, mm-hmm. but could it be just somebody who's uh, become sort of a, 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 I don't know, locked up in a house or something like that, controlled like that? Or? So labor trafficking is, I think, even harder to detect because it can be someone working out in a field, someone working in a restaurant or a hotel, um, someone working construction, um, a nail salon. That could all, you know, people who we interact with all the time and that it's a fine line between, you know, if someone is just not being paid very much labor exploitation or not being paid basically at all. That's, you know, can be labor trafficking either way. They're both bad and they're both really prevalent um, because people like cheap products, which it's hard to, I I like inexpensive things as well. I like it, yeah. Why... I don't like couching questions. I'm just going to ask it. Why don't people just walk away from the situation? Mm-hmm. So when I was talking earlier about the level of control yeah. that someone exerts, um, they really don't feel like they can. So they could. someone who we help might be able to leave the presence of a trafficker to go meet someone. But that person has exerted so much control over that person that even if they're walking about, they're not in chains, they're not tied up somewhere, they're not locked into a room. It's psychological control. And I think it's hard to grasp if you haven't experienced it yourself um, or studied it at length and even then. Um, So, you know, um, they have paid consequences before of being beaten, strangled. Um, multiple times threatened um, threats against someone's family. Uh, mm. That's that's a thing. So if they're like, well, I'm going to kill your parents, and they they believe they've seen they know that that person could easily do that, um, so they will stay. Um, uh, sextortion is a big one. So one way that people get recruited is because they send photos of themselves that maybe you know they think they can trust this person, but. They can't really. And then that person can use a photo or a video or something. And then they've got that. They'll share it off Facebook. They'll send it to their dad. They'll send it to their pastors. They'll send it, share it everywhere um, unless they do what they say. So, I mean, what do you do in that situation? I think about the different stories I hear and I think, I don't know what I would have done in that situation. Yeah. Um, uh, How much is uh, drug addiction tied uh, into this? Did it? Does it play a role in starting out in this trade and kind of going down that? Or is it uh, something that, that is kind of a fruit of, of being trafficked, you know, turning to drugs to, to deal with it? Both, for okay. sure. Uh, drugs can be a recruitment tool, um, whether that is um, offering someone drugs. You're like, let's let's smoke some weed. And then maybe it's laced with something. Or someone goes to a party that they think is just a party and someone – drugs them there somehow so and so drugs can be in different ways a recruitment tool but then it's often a coping mechanism um a lot of the people who we served i think i could say majority have used substances to cope and again can't can't blame someone for doing that the kind of stuff that they've had to do 
Like, I, I think I probably would do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Oh, back to the old Jim Beam again. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> did, um, uh, did, did, did some of these, uh, some of the clients, uh, let's say if they weren't children, uh, when they got involved in this, uh, was it a business transaction where they, they took on a pimp at some point and then it got out of control <laughs> over a course of time? I, that could be. Yeah. Um, usually, I guess, from what I know, um, that was most likely maybe started out as um, some type of a romantic relationship. So this person, they really they were seeking love. This person showed them some form of love that made sense to them. Maybe they were abused when they were kids. And so, you know, that kind of can become a norm, maybe. Uh, and so it starts out as as this relationship. They think someone who cares about them and then devolves into that. Um, sometimes they're sometimes if it's like gang activity, they're recruited in through violence. Mm. So um, in terms of someone really just actively making that choice, I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's super common i don't know every okay. story all i know is what we've heard okay yeah um i mean not to be crass but are there stories out there about um how much money uh women are making if they uh turn a trick uh so to say like uh you know how low or how high or is it diminishing to like hey when you start out you get this and then by the end of it you know so typically the people who we serve that's a pull, like you'll make a lot of money. They don't keep that money. Mm. They're not, they're not, they're turning it over. Yeah. Um, and so maybe someone's like, well, I'll, you know, I'll buy you clothes and I'll buy you designer purses and I'll buy you stuff with that money. But it is not like, you know, it's not like uh, they're able to like open a savings account and save up for school. I suppose that could, <laughs> I suppose that could happen. I'm not saying that has never happened, yeah. but not, not with the people we serve. Yeah. So once what we find is when people leave behind sex trafficking, they come out with nothing, barely the clothes on their back. So which is why when they come to Dragonfly, they need absolutely everything from basic toiletries and some clothes and groceries to start out with. And then everything beyond that mm. as well. So it's not a 50-50 uh, partnership. No, I wouldn't call it an equitable and fair <laughs> uh, partnership. No. It's not a <laughs> – yeah. they don't drop a business plan. Mm, well, no, not really. Yeah, angel investors. Right. <laughs> so you got to help me out, man. See, I'm trying to keep it uh-huh. – you know, No, I'm go, with you. Go dark and then i gotta, mm-hmm. you know, I got to mm-hmm. bring levity. it back up, man. A little mm-hmm. levity. Yeah. Um, is it uh, – seasonal at all do you see the number of phone calls go up or down during a part of the year yeah so um the holidays again what's interesting is times of the year that are a hard time for a lot of people so the holidays and just after the holidays we'll see an uptick in calls during that time as well um so that can be a hard time what, no, what why is that is it is it so, so what are they getting sentimental about something or i think just like with everyone else i mean yeah. It's a hard, it can be a hard time of year if you're yeah. not with your family, not with loved ones. Um, yeah. Like what the hell am I out here doing this for? I guess. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, just 
New Year's resolution. <laughs> I don't think so. I suppose, once again, it could be. <laughs> I resolve. <laughs> right. To get help. Yeah, I don't know. But that's just how it is. Oh, so January is also Human Trafficking Awareness Month, okay. though. And so we actually do see... So that was a stupid-ass joke on my part. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, we'll segue into something... Something real. Fruitful. Right. <laughs> okay, so Human Trafficking Month is... Yeah. So uh, actually, January. like, we really do see that as people learn about human trafficking, we get more referrals. And that's great because it's showing that awareness is really working. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, what do you guys have coming up? I know, uh, you know, you got events and things like that going mm-hmm. on, and we uh, talked about some of the fundraising. But uh, anything uh, new on the horizon? July is our uh, Future of Freedom campaign, and so we kind of took this number about how there's an estimated 40 million people enslaved in human trafficking globally, and asking people to donate, make a one-time donation of forty dollars this month just to reach a goal so that we can help more people um and then our next big event is our annual crown of beauty gala uh so we are uh real in the thick of planning that that is going to be thursday october 3rd okay um you know the oklahoma city the uh historic farmers public market down there and it's southwest third and klein i haven't been down there okay kind of like a spanish style building if i'm remembering what a spanish style (laughs) building is correctly you can see it from the highway it's like this big this big um thing anyway so we were there last year this is a really cool event space and it's always just a fun beautiful event uh we'll have a wine pull we'll have our whiskey pull oh wow um okay go twenty dollars all right um, I believe it was 15 for whiskey last year. Um, I'll, and I'll, then, and I'll then be you, the Oklahoma ambassador. There you go. <laughs> you are more than welcome. Um, anyway, those sell out like fast, that. though. Yeah, they will. Yeah. Bastards. Every year right. they sell out. This is our fourth one. Those have been very popular yeah, events. But we'll have good food and, and music and all of that. So that's coming mm-hmm. up. Tickets will go on sale. Well, by the time this comes out, I would say if they're not on sale yet, they will be real soon. Okay. Great, great. And uh, where are you folks at online? And uh, what phone number mm-hmm. do people uh, need either to help out or if they know somebody who, who needs some help? Mm-hmm. So uh, the dragonflyhome.org is our website. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. Your social media platform of choice. Come and follow us there. Then you'll get information, all of those updates and just good information. Um, our... 24-hour human trafficking helpline number is locally 405-212-3377. And uh, our toll-free number is 855-674-4767. So that's the helpline. And yeah, so people, if they know someone who needs help, if they need help, um, can call that number. Good stuff. Melissa Ike. That's right. Dragonfly. Thanks for coming out. Thank you so much for inviting me. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode of the United States of Oklahoma, please subscribe on your favorite podcast publishing platform, Triple P, man, and share with your friends. And if you want to keep up with the latest news in Oklahoma, pick up a digital subscription at Oklahoman.com where you will get unparalleled coverage of Sooner State politics, sports, breaking news, business, crime and courts, food, music, religion, and a whole lot more, including some of the best photojournalism around. 
all for $9.99 a month.